Welcome to the Nova Nation podcast. This is Rob Logan. On this episode, my good friend and co-host Chris Merle and I discuss COVID-19 and its impact on the upcoming season. But first, we get your favorite women's point guard of all time to join us to answer a couple of questions. All that right now on the Nova Nation podcast. Listen up. Go Nova. Nova Nation. I'm sure you'll remember our next guest. She was a three-time Delaware Player of the Year, three-time Gatorade Player of the Year, made all Big East rookie team, top 10 scorer in Nova history, and all-time three-point record holder for Nova and the Big East. Your point guard extraordinaire, Adriana Hahn. Thank you for being on the show, Adriana. Oh, of course. Thank you for having me. This is great. Thank you very much. You got all, all, right, so I gotta, you got all those uh, facts correct. <laughs> cool. Cool. I did I did I did do a little research. Yeah, it was great. No, it's awesome. Cool. So my first question to you um, is uh, you received a lot of college recruiting letters uh, when you were uh, you know your senior year in high school. What led you to eventually enrolling at Nova? Yeah, well, the goal, you know, ever since middle school and even maybe younger than that was always to get a scholarship to college and play at a high level. Um, You know, that was always in my mindset. So I didn't know the process, but just going through AAU and high school, um, that's when I started getting exposure to college coaches. I would play in front of them at tournaments. Um, They would obviously send me letters, like you said. I would actually go to their summer camps. I would visit schools. So you know, it's a two-way relationship always. They communicate with you, but then you also as a player have to put yourself out there and do more for them to notice you and uh, respect you. And you have to open up that conversation and engagement. Um, so actually Villanova offered me when I was a freshman in high school. Uh, I've got, you wow. know, a lot of people, yeah, a lot of people say wow to that, but you know, <laughs> you, it's kind of common. Um, I got mm-hmm. my first offer in eighth grade from University of Delaware, which was you know, great. My home state. I respect that a lot. But Villanova offered me when I was a freshman. And at the time, you know, I wanted to play in the ACC conference and Villanova is in the Big East. So I didn't really communicate with them for two years. And then I was very close to Elena Deladon, who went to Ursuline Academy in my high school in Delaware. And she actually told me that if she didn't go to UConn, she would have went to Villanova. She said they hmm. she would have had the green light there. She loved the three point game. She loved Harry Peretta and his offense. And so that kind of led me, you know, more of my direction to staying close to home and, you know, being more comfortable and in a sense, allowing my life to be a little bit easier, knowing that I was going to dive into this sports program and have all of this pressure, um, you know, from the outside in, it, it looks nice to go across the country and play in a big conference and against better players. But I decided that I would rather uh, create my name in a bigger way in a more comfortable environment that's closer to home. And I actually called them back two years later and said, Hey, do you still have that scholarship for me? <laughs> so they were pretty shocked that that happened. And then I actually just committed. Wow. Wow. That's pretty cool. Wow, that's <laughs> ironic a, story. That's an amazing story. Um, yep. you always, you always play with great intensity and your work ethic is second to none. Where did that come from? I would say that the vision and the mentality uh, first was exposed to me through my father. 
he was my coach, my basketball coach at all levels, all the way up to college when you would kind of expect, you know, my college coach and all of that, you know, he still was very engaged no matter what level I was at. And I also, you know, watched Kobe Bryant a lot when I was a child. I was obsessed with him. Um, and it wasn't because, you know, I still think he is one of the greatest players and he wasn't the greatest at all times, but it was his Mamba mentality, his killer mentality. You know, you are trying to be great. You are trying to be the best. And a lot of kids and a lot of parents kind of don't like to sell that sometimes to their kids because it can come with a lot of pressure. It can come with a lot of doubts and a lot of failures, but that's the best part about it. Um, you know, you want it to be challenging and then it eventually just becomes became second nature to me. That was who I am. I wanted to be the best. It wasn't hard to try and be the best. That was what I wanted. I wasn't confused about it. There was no hesitation, you know, going towards that goal. And my father really instilled in me, you know, you have to be great if you want to get the things and go places in life. Um, especially for me being from Delaware, small town, five, six little girl, you know, I had to put myself out there a lot of the time because from a political standpoint in the sports world, I was, um, negatively viewed as being slow and short and a lot of people didn't think I would play at the next level or even be as successful as I was so not only did I have these great people around me but I also was kind of limited as a kid and I always fought with that literally up to my last year of college basketball you you mentioned you mentioned Kobe Bryant and yes. that was a little bit of a good segue because my next <laughs> question was actually going to be uh, whose game did you try to emulate as as a you know as a younger basketball player? Yeah, um, and you know I, I I love Kobe Bryant. Uh, you know the, in the NBA, he's definitely one of the guys that I've watched and appreciated um, throughout my entire career. But when I was younger, I did watch a lot of college basketball. I did watch a lot of WNBA, and there was a point guard named Ivory Lotto from North Carolina who actually went to play in the WNBA. I watched Diana Taurasi, of course, Elena Deladon, who I had a very close relationship with in Delaware. Um, Pappy Pondexter, who played in the WNBA. You know, all these players that all had that killer mentality that I was talking about. That's what really sparked, you know, when I saw a game or a team on TV, the person that I noticed the most was the one that was standing out the most. And it was their aggressiveness, their scoring, obviously. You know, you if you want to be great, you got to be able to score at all times. So, you know, just seeing these players being able to do what they wanted to do at any moment of any game, no matter who they were playing against, you know, they ran the team. You can tell that the offense was centered around them. And so that was like, I wanted to be that person. I wanted people in the stands to know that. I wanted everybody, you know, I wanted the attention on me. And mm -hmm. seeing these players that had that, I was like, I want to be in their shoes even bigger. You know, you have to have dreams. Why did you choose number 31? Is there any significance to that? Um, you know, not really. Uh, funny thing is that I played soccer and basketball when I was really little, both at the same time. And it was the first, you know, one of the first soccer basketball jerseys that I got. And I just stuck with it. And then, you know, as I got a little older, um, you know, sixth, seventh grade, I was like, a lot of people judge the players that have higher numbers is like the slower ones and the ones who aren't as good and probably don't play as much or the bigger ones. And I was like, no, I'm going to be this great shooting point guard that wears 31. You know, a lot of people don't have it. Like I said, it's a lot, it's for those other types of positions, but I'm going to be different. And 
you know, everybody picks 23, 24, three, number one. Like, I'm not going to do the same thing as everybody else. I want it to be different in every way possible. Yeah, my my son, his first number he picks is always 21. Joel <laughs> and B. Oh, that's uh, great. I mean, you so, know, it's great to have a player role model. That too. Right. G. Miller, 31, is a great, great player. Right. And that's what I, I, I just what I try to tell him now. I, when he, he, he got a jersey for his, uh, his AAU team and it was number one. And right away he turned to me and he said, Hey, dad, who's number one? And I said, You, um, ah, you're nice. going to be number one. So hopefully that's he'll awesome. get that. He'll get that kind of mentality as well. Oh, yeah. Lucas is a killer. He goes hard in the workouts. That's for sure. <laughs> um, <laughs> You know, this might be a little bit of a generic type cheesy question. Shoot it out. I I did want to ask you, what has been your greatest moment playing basketball? Is there one particular moment that just stands out in your mind? Definitely. When you think about like your career and what you accomplished, you do look at the great moments. You know, I've won two state championships in high school. Those obviously are highlighted when I think of my career a lot of my record breaking moments in college when I broke three point record at Villanova, the big East record, you know, I'll remember literally the shot that I took where it was, you know, how much time was on the clock. I I remember everything. It's a, it's a feeling and uh, that never goes away. But to be honest, uh, when I look back at my career, I really highlight my injuries. Um, I had three knee surgeries. I tore my ACL when I was in eighth grade and Like when I look at special moments of my basketball career, those really do stand out because, you know, as an athlete, you go through so much adversity, Um, but that was adversity within myself. And it was very challenging, especially because I was so young and it's a long recovery and things like that. Uh, And, you know, I look back and I'm like, a lot of people say, you wish you could take back those injuries, but I'm actually the opposite. You know, I became a different type of player after that happened. You know, besides all of those limitations that I already talked about, about people judging me as a player and, and, you know, my characteristics physically, you know, I was also dealing with injuries. So I had all these obstacles to, to push against and, and all this. And then I always had to prove people wrong, especially after those injuries, people definitely thought I wouldn't be able to be the same beast on the court. And actually I became a bigger beast and, you know, I appreciate that. I, I, I appreciate that journey. I heard a rumor of a one v of a one v one game against you and Mikel Bridges. Oh, Is that true? <laughs> yes, that did happen at uh, our time at Villanova. <laughs> okay, um, if you hadn't played basketball, what would you see yourself doing? You know, that's tough because I only know myself, not even know, only know myself as basketball, but, um, you know, I can't remember who I was without it. Mm-hmm. One, because I was so young when I picked up a ball. Um, and, you know, it's scary to think, what if I didn't have this ball or this journey with a ball that allowed me to meet all these great people, to go to all these places, to build my Instagram and be an influence for kids and you know, even open up uh, an opportunity for parents to start a relationship with their kids in sports. You know, it's a whole three. There's so many parts and elements of it. So, you know, I can't even imagine not 
doing basketball, but now that I'm no longer a basketball player, I don't play for a team, you know, I don't wear a jersey anymore. Uh, I, you know, it was a challenge. It was a hard adjustment. But then I realized, you know, I learned a lot of skills and a lot of things on the court as a player that can be translated into everyday life. And so, you know, I think if I didn't have basketball, um, you know, honestly, I'd probably go into real estate. I think I'd be really good at selling things, maybe a lawyer. You know, I can communicate pretty well. I get straight to the point. I like to break down issues and get and dive really into them. So, um, you know, when I think about that, I'm like, oh, that's stemmed from basketball, too. But, you know, it's hard to really think like what or who would I be without basketball? And then translating that into my afterlife of, of after a basketball player, I'm like, I can't imagine not bringing basketball into this next era of my life, mm -hmm. you know? So it's, it's, it's kind of scary to think about. Uh, you know, um, do you feel you've achieved your goals in basketball? Like what you set out to do? You know, that's a great question. I've actually never been asked that before. I definitely know that I was successful. Um, there were things that I accomplished that I never thought I would accomplish. Um, but I also had goals that I didn't accomplish. You know, I did want to play in the WNBA. I did want to play with Elena Deladon in the WNBA and win a championship or be a professional basketball player. And it's not that I couldn't. It's not that my skill set wasn't there. I just decided not to um, with my knee injuries a little bit. You know, uh, the agent relationship was kind of difficult for me, uh, to be honest. Also, coming from uh, a lower, you know, mid-major basketball program you know, that type of conversation just never existed. And, um, you know, I, I, I think that even though I didn't do all of those things, it was hard for me, you know, I was discouraged, but I finally realized, you know, with my training basketball business and the relationships that I've built and the other outside things that I can do with basketball, you know, I might have more opportunities now than a WNBA player does. And I truly believe that I truly believe and, and trust in my engagement and my relationships and how I can touch kids lives and show them the way I think, you know, I enjoy that so much that it doesn't make me sit on the doubt of not accomplishing some of those dreams and goals that I had for my entire life. You know, you in life, you're going to there's ups and downs. Uh, you're going to have to adjust to different things. And, you know, it was hard for me because I, like I said, I do have that killer mentality and I was never going to let somebody take away from my goals. Um, so, you know, as you grow up and grow up and go through it, you realize that, you know, you don't, you don't look back and dwell on it. Um, and who knows, I'm, I'm still in the best shape. Like I'm in, I'm in great shape right mm -hmm. now. So there could be a comeback. <laughs> Very cool. Very cool. Well, that kind of leads me into to my, my final question. Um, okay. What, what have you been doing? since your playing days at Nuga? Yes. Ooh, the story is long. But, you know, with my social media network and Instagram, I did a lot of uh, media production, sports media production out in LA. I worked for Baron Davis. And I had an intense amount of freedom and the green light uh, when it came to networking events and going to sports leagues and meeting tons of people. Um, pretty much building my name and getting out there. And then 
you know, I tried the corporate world and unfortunately, uh, there was just some limitations that I had where they didn't see me as, as fit. So, uh, and, and again, that's something that you have to adjust to that. I was also very frustrated at that time in my life. And, you know, I had to look to myself and be like, okay, what do I have? What value do I have that all of these people or companies aren't seeing? And I decided to do things on my own. So I started my basketball training business for kids. It's called Han Hoops. My youngest is about fourth grade all the way up to senior year of high school, boys and girls. Uh, I also do some media content through my Instagram and my, and my platform with all my network connections uh, that's related to sports content, but also um, you know, tying in community and, and more than just sports. Um, because for me, I'm not the professional athlete. I didn't go that route. And I don't think that that limited me in any way. And I think there's a lot of value that comes to sports and how you can grow as a person through your sports journey. And so I like to bring that into conversation through, you know, some TV shows I've brought on guests like Gary V, uh, Metal World Peace, you know, I'm still doing some things. So I have a couple people in mind for the future. Um, so not only am I doing the basketball training business and tying in the media content, I also do on the side some modeling and uh, photography. I work with some companies like East Bay, some skincare lines. Um, you know, I'm, I'm actually into CBD a lot with my knee injuries. I, I think it's great. So, you know, that you always need to be active in a lot of in different industries. That's the best route to go is if you're able to, you know, uh, do multiple things, um, without it being, without, it, without it taking away from one or the other, then you're set. So I'm, I'm, you know, even though I have all these things that I'm doing, I'm still trying to do more. I'm always thinking, how can I build? How can I get bigger? Um, you know, what new industry can I reach? I, I can, I mean, I have seen you actually with, you know, some of the kids and obviously with, with my son and the way you interact with him, um, you know, he's been around a lot of coaches, he's been around some, some other trainers, he's been to different camps. The, the connection that you have with him as far as being able to get your point across, uh, get him to focus on what he's doing, it's amazing. So I can attest to Han Hoops um, <laughs> and uh, you know, my son, he's kind of sometimes not focused, but when he steps <laughs> on the court with you and you're there and you're showing him something, you know, it's amazing how focused he is on what you're saying. Um, Thank you. Thank so, you. Yeah, it's interesting. Like I started the business in March um, and, you know, what's ironic is as a player, you know, I was a point guard. I was a really good at a floor general. I could, I was, I had great court awareness. You know, I saw plays before they happened. And uh, with my training, you know, I was pretty intense when it came to getting better. And almost every coach that I had told me that I would be a great coach <laughs> one day. And not even knowing that I wouldn't would want to coach or anything, they just said it naturally. Said it, you would be a great coach. You know, did did you ever think about coaching? And so now you look back on that and you're like, wow, you know, look where I'm at in life. People, right. you know, at the time I didn't even, it didn't even, it went in one ear out the other. Now it's my life. And, you know, it's adjusting for me as well. I'm learning new things. I've dealt with different types of kids. Um, and so I've had to change my, um, the way I teach and, and my methods and each for different kids with different skill sets. 
but you know, Lucas is great. He, uh, he's, <laughs> he's a funny kid because I know he knows a lot about basketball. He watches the game, he studies it. So I know what he's visioning in his head. And mm-hmm. like you said, sometimes he isn't focused, but you know, I think that's because he's focusing on, on other things which are related to basketball, but you know, we got to get him to do this crossover and jump stop and finish with the opposite hand, you know, you know, building his skill set. I mean, he's, he's great. Eye contact is, is key. He respects, listens, um, and he goes hard, you know, when you don't have to push a kid, it makes your job 10 times easier. Right. And right. it's, it's those kids that you actually want to see getting better. You know, I give my all to those kids who give their all to me. It's a two way relationship and it goes a really long way. Well, I, I, I personally thank you for, for what you've done with him and for all the kids. And of course, I, I truly, truly thank you for coming on our podcast tonight and, uh, and answering some it's been, oh yeah no thanks for th- those were great questions some of the like i said some of those questions i've never been asked before um you know and and i love doing this uh, especially for those people who you know where we have uh, other relationships you know lucas comes to the gym i train him um you know you're out of state which is great uh so you, you'd be amazed just seeing how the sport what sport can do all of this and create this so thank right. you for having me this is great uh, thank you adriana and we'll be, back. we'll be back. Thank you so much. Thanks, Rob. All right. Are you looking for a reliable company to service your swimming pool or hot tub? If so, we are absolutely thrilled with the work that American Pool Concepts did for us. They completely transformed our pool. American Pool Concepts does amazing work. Patrick and Chris are hardworking pool experts. Hire them, you won't regret it. Check their Facebook page or their website at www.americanpoolconcepts.com. All right, Chris, let's talk a little bit about the uh, COVID situation going on. Uh, it's such a big, uh, big thing that I think we should spend a little bit of time talking on it. The other day, uh, the NCAA released what it's called the core principles of re-socialization of collegiate basketball. Big, big, big document. And obviously there was a lot of verbiage about testing and, and all of this other stuff. But there's one paragraph that stands out to everybody. And I'm going to read it to you and I want to get your interpretation of this paragraph. Okay, go ahead. All right. It says, and it's a strict right from the, right from the, right from the NCAA's COVID-19 medical advisory group. It says a typical basketball team has 15 players, all of whom typically train on a single basketball court at the same time, in an enclosed space. Generally speaking, it is expected that the total number of Tier 1 individuals within within a team would be approximately 25 to 30. If any Tier 1 individual becomes infected, schools should consider quarantining the entire team, including coaching staff, 
and other essential personnel who are part of Tier 1 for 14 days, provided determinations around who must be quarantined are ultimately the jurisdiction of applicable public health officials. At present, there is not a recommendation for consideration of testing out of quarantine. Now, Tier 1 applies to anyone in suspected or proven close contact, anyone sharing a gym around basketball practice day to day is tier one. With that being said, one positive case could basically shut a team down. How are they going to put together a season? Well, it depends, I guess, on each individual campus. Uh, some universities are all remote. Some are a mixture. If you are a university that's fully remote, most um, students would be away from campus, correct? So then you can have sort of your own, I hate to use the word bubble, but you could have a, a bubble on campus, so to speak. But I understand what you're saying about the 25 to 30 individuals because then you're including managers, trainers, et cetera, Correct. the coaching staff. Um, Correct. If one of them tests positive, then you have to shut it, shut it down is what you're saying? Is that what you the NCAA said? They're saying for at least 14 days. Okay, because that's and not – During, that time, during that, that time, you can't have any, any other positive test. Okay, because that's not what they're doing in football. Right. Right. Um, why why well, is there why is there a difference in football? Do you, do you know? Well, I think it's just because of the size. The larger so, rosters? Instance, you have a larger roster. So, you know, let's say a college football team has, you know, 60, 70 kids. 85. One or two, you know, what is it? 85. Okay, there you go. 85. So one or two cases there – the percentage is still low. One or two cases on a 15-man roster is a big difference. Now, also, to me, I think another difference is being outdoors as opposed to being indoors. I still think that they're real uh, – they're a little worried about having that indoor practice, everybody touching the same ball – uh, the close proximity with everybody. I'm going to give you, listen to this, Chris. Okay. I, I pulled up some numbers. These are actual numbers now. This is on September, as of September, I mean, yeah, as of September 27th. On that date alone, there was 11 cases of COVID on Villanova campus. Okay. Reported. As starting at 8-17, to 927, there was a uh, cumulative total of 132 cases. Okay? Right. Actively, there was 59 cases and 73 recovery cases on campus. So, there, I mean, as much as you want to try to keep these kids in a bubble, I just, it's going to be hard, very hard to do. And, and just, just think of it this way too. You could do everything 
and you're, you know, everything right on your own campus and, and really, you know, monitor this to the nth degree. But what happens, you know, I, I read that the Big East and Big 12 still want to have their battle. They still want to play those games. Villanova is scheduled to play against Texas. What happens if Texas isn't as strict with their testing? Well, they're not. The campus? Um, I don't know about testing, but I know they, they've been allowing, allowing fans to go to the football games. Um, right. My, I don't know if it's anything about the tri-state uh, travel quarantines because you have Connecticut, St. John's, Seton Hall are in the tri, what they call the tri-state uh, quarantine area. They're all three of those states mm-hmm. are under travel restrictions. So if Seton Hall goes to play Creighton, Nebraska is, is a state on that list. So then how are the kids going to go play an away game at Creighton and then quarantine back in New Jersey for 14 days? Right. You can't. Right. So would they play at a neutral site? How does, how does that work? Does Creighton play two games in New Jersey and New York and Connecticut? I- right. Or, or is the schedule going to be – broken up to where these teams are playing almost like a regional schedule. I yeah. Well that's that's one that let's 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 get into that. Um so we're looking at a November twenty fifth start. That's what's been proposed, right? right? Um mm-hmm. have they determined it's going to be a conference only schedule or are they going to allow some non conference games? Well, I, I definitely think the, the the talk has really been centered around conference games, but I also think they want to have a couple of non-conference games thrown in there if they can. So we're looking at maybe maybe at the max twenty-two to twenty-five games this year. Yeah, I mean that I, to me, I think that's that, that would be on the higher end. I think. Okay, so there's 11 teams in the Big East. So you're talking about if you play a home and home, that would be 20 games. Mm-hmm. Then a few additional non-conference games. I mean, for Villanova, it would make sense to play your old uh, Big Five rivalry games. Um, Correct, but I don't know what Temple and Penn and you know the uh, Ivy League was very cagey about fall sports, and they ultimately ended canceled their seasons. I, I don't know if they're mm-hmm. even going to have a, a winter season. So um, right. Villanova may have to, like you said, look to other places to play these non-conference games. You mentioned Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's also SEC, which they had no problem playing football. So I'm sure you could find games there as well. Um, but yeah, I get 20 to, to 25 sounds about right. Now let me ask you a question. You know, you, you say, okay, we're going to, we're going to go with a conference schedule. 
which, like you said, home home and home would be about 20 games. And, you know, you brought up a good thought of having, you know, the, the big five games because, you know, it is kind of regional and, and you wouldn't be going state to state. You get on a bus. But, right. But here's the thing now. From a standpoint of the season itself, are you are you setting yourself up short by not trying to play some of these other games of maybe higher ranked teams to then put yourself in a better position at the end of the season? Because obviously the goal is still going to be to win some kind of championship, whatever it is. So you're, you're talking about come bracket time, what your situation would look like as far as seeding if you weren't. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that, but I, I don't know if that would be just Villanova's challenge. I think it would be across the board. Um, I mean, unless you're in the ACC or the big 10, you know, you're going to have three to four ranked teams in, in, in each conference on average. I think the preseason poll, there were four teams in the big East that were ranked. Correct. I believe you. Yes. Okay. Villanova, Seton Hall, Creighton, and Xavier? Butler. Butler. There you go. Xavier. Not Xavier. Yeah, yeah, Butler. So, you know, all those teams are going to be in the same boat. I, I think mm-hmm. we just have to maybe accept the unexpected. And if we get the conference games in maybe two to three local, regional, non-conference games – then they'll just have to – they're going to have to look at that when it comes to seeding time and make their determination. What What do you think – and, you know, we'll kind of end the discussion on this. What do you think the, you know, March Madness NCAA tournament – what do you think that's going to look like that this year? If, if you know, if it's even – my, my my one proposal that I saw, and, and I can't remember where where I read this. The they wanted to do something similar to what Major League Baseball is doing right now, and having instead of playing your uh, round of sixty four and thirty two in four different cities, and then playing the round of sixteen and the round of eight in another city where you would just have your east, west, southeast, and midwest brackets stay put. So essentially, again, you know, I don't want to use this term, but you'd have four bubbles. And mm-hmm. and that's probably, to me, it made the most sense because it would be the, less, the least amount of travel, and you could have centralized testing areas, and you would be easier to maintain the integrity that way. Um, that's that's what I think they'll do. I, you know, it's just a guess at this point, but um, it, it did seem to make sense. Well, I'll tell you what the NBA has done down in Florida has obviously worked because we're we're in the finals right now. So whatever they what what they have done is definitely I think a blueprint for a lot of these other places to kind of work off of.
Are you looking for a compassionate, family-centered pediatrician in Hamilton, New Jersey? If so, we know the right place. Hamilton Pediatrics specializes in medical care for kids, and they would love to get to know you and your family better. Their commitment is to help children reach their highest potential by working with parents to promote and maintain their child's physical and emotional well-being from birth up to college years. Check them out at www.hamiltonpediatrics.com. What's up, Nova Nation? If you have any questions that you would like to have answered or discussed on the show, email us at the Nova Nation Podcast at gmail.com.